This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, August 4th, 2019. Confidence killers, shame. Well, good morning, Connection Church. Good morning. Today we start a new series. You know, in medical world, there are things called silent killers. Um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, sleep apnea, some others. But there are some silent killers out there that we don't talk a lot about because they don't kill the body. Instead, they kill us emotionally. They close our spirit. They, they kill our confidence. That's what we're looking at today in the next two weeks, confidence killers. Today, our focus is on shame. Good morning, Connection Community Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? Almighty God, we thank you for today. We thank you for those of us here in this place and those joining us online. God, settle us in that we might be changed and transformed by your love, by your presence. God, it's no accident that any one of us are here today or joining us on Facebook Live. You meet us right where we are. And so we thank you and we praise you in the name of the Father and the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody agreed and said, Amen. 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 Shame. That's a tough word, isn't it? Shame. It's a painful feeling of inferiority or unworthiness due to one's actions, thoughts, circumstances, or experiences. And it results in this mix of regret, of self-hate, and dishonor. Most of us, actually all of us, have experienced shame at one time or another in our lives for one reason or another. Now, shame can be an occasional short-lived feeling, but that's not the shame that we're talking about today. We're talking about the shame that someone lives with day in and day out. Shame that becomes a part of one's being. Shame that is shutting the person down emotionally, closing their spirit, killing their confidence. We're talking about the shame that is uh, that negatively affects someone's life. This is a tough message today. It affects someone's well-being, someone's relationship with God and with others. So check out what Mary C. Lamia, a PhD, says about shame in an article from Psychology Today entitled, Shame, a Concealed, Contagious, and Dangerous Emotion. She writes this, as a self-conscious emotion, shame informs us of an internal state of inadequacy, unworthiness, dishonor, regret, or disconnection. Shame is a clear signal that our positive feelings have been interrupted. Another person or circumstance or a circumstance can trigger shame in us, but so can a failure to meet our own ideals or standards. 
Given that shame can lead us to feel as though our whole self is flawed, bad, or subject to exclusion, it motivates us to hide or to do something to save face. So it's no wonder that shame avoidance can lead to withdrawal or to addictions that attempt to mask its impact. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Adam and Eve before and after eating the forbidden fruit and after their fall from grace. Check this out. This is before. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is after. And they, Adam and his wife, hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And the man, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So before eating the fruit, before disobeying God, before the fall from grace, they're running around the garden and eating stark naked, naked as a jaybird in their birthday suits. Yeah, you can laugh. It's okay. Just picture that, though. Run around. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Because they felt no shame. And it's hard for us to imagine because, see, we're after the fall, not before the fall. And so we're like they were after the fall, after disobeying, after disobeying God, after listening to Satan, filled with shame recognizing their nakedness, hiding from God. That sounds more like us, doesn't it? That sounds more familiar, of course, because we live after the fall. So, just like the Psychology Today article points out, shame motivates us to hide because of our feelings of exclusion, of being flawed, of being bad. And the thing is, these feelings are not brought to us by God. Now, because as we shared a couple weeks ago, God's next question to Adam and Eve, after they told him they were naked and therefore needed to hide, God asked them, who told you that? Well, if it was God, he wouldn't ask that question, would he? (laughs) Duh. (laughs) Who told you that? It wasn't God. Shame. The same kind of crippling, crippling shame we're talking about today, kind of shame that makes us want to go and hide, doesn't come from God. It comes from the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and his name is Satan. Say it with me. Satan. Satan. That's the last time you're going to say it today because we don't want to say that name, do we? The name we want to say is Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Hiding. It comes in all shapes and in all sizes. As a kid, we might try to hide, you know, under a bed or behind a chair or, you know, in a closet, some other place in the house, out back in the yard. But as we get older, we learn to hide in different ways. It might be emotional hiding. It might be physical hiding. So we might take a walk and kind of go MIA for a little while, or we might get in the car and and take a drive. We might get a bottle of booze or take some pills. That'll check us out for a little while. Maybe it's through illicit sex. Maybe it's a socially more acceptable way of hiding. How about workaholism? There are all kinds of escapes, many different forms of hiding, of running away. 
You know, running away, though, isn't what God wants for us, is it? Shame isn't what God wants for us. That's not the life Jesus died for, not the life he died to give us. God wants us to be confident in his love for us. Even though we may do shameful things, and we do, that we may act in ways that are shameful in our culture, things that cause others to point out our shame to us, Jesus does not want us to wallow in that shame, to be defined by that shame. He died to deliver us, to deliver us from sin, to deliver us from shame, died to free us from those things that enslave us, and that includes the shame that we're talking about this morning. In the Bible, there are a lot of stories about shame-filled people, people who were looked down upon by others, people who were ostracized in their communities, people who were just treated like they didn't even exist. And guess what? Jesus interacted with all of them. Jesus came and hung out with them. Some of the stories about some of these people are because of professions they were involved in. Some of the stories about beha- were about behaviors that they were involved in. And Jesus still came and spent time with them. And that's because they are the very people that Jesus came to deliver. They are the very people that Jesus came to free. They are the very people that Jesus came to save. Mm. As we read in the book of Mark, it's the second book of the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, second chapter, verse 17. On hearing this, that he ate with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Tax collectors, sinners. So a well-known tax collector in the scripture is a guy named Zacchaeus. Anybody ever heard of Zacchaeus? Yeah? We read about him in the 19th chapter of Luke. Luke's in the second half of the Bible, the ministry, the stories of Jesus. And we're told that Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, but he is the chief tax collector. There's quite a difference. And Zacchaeus was very wealthy. That means that he did tax collecting better than anybody else, which also meant that he probably, most likely, actually he did, cheat people out of their money to gain wealth. Better than anybody else. (laughs) That's how you get chief. So one day, Jesus is coming through Jericho, Zacchaeus' hometown. And by this point, when Jesus comes to town, there's a crowd. There's a crowd of people following him, a crowd before him and after him and all around him. And so Zacchaeus is downtown, and he's wondering what's going on. And he wants to see. Now, we don't know. The Scripture doesn't tell us why. It doesn't tell us why, what's the key is up there? We doesn't tell us what's, he's just curious, saw a big crowd, maybe he's just nosy. Maybe he'd heard about this guy, Jesus, and he wanted to see him for himself. Maybe he'd heard some of the stories about what Jesus was doing. And maybe he realized, maybe he needed some of that doing on himself. Maybe, maybe he realized his shame and how he was covering it with his wealth, and maybe he wanted the opportunity to get rid of that shame. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit visited him and said, Zacchaeus, get downtown. You better check this out. Well, whatever the reason, that big crowd's coming downtown, and 
Zacchaeus can't see because he's a short guy. He can't see over the crowd. So he decides to shimmy up a tree. That's important because it tells us just what kind of tree, a sycamore tree. Maybe that's because it fits in the song we're going to talk about in a minute. Anyway, picture this. You're downtown, Main Street, Middletown. Jesus coming through with a huge crowd. And you see one of them businessmen from downtown in his business suit shimmying up a tree at high noon. Can you picture that one? Shimmying up a sycamore tree. You got to go, what in the heck is going on there? Was he just curious? Interested? Maybe he was desperate. Maybe he was desperate. Anyway, Jesus is coming along, and Jesus sees, sees Zacchaeus. He, does, he hasn't met him before. We haven't seen him in the scriptures, but he knows Zacchaeus. He knows him. He knows who he is. He knows what he does. He knows his profession. He knows his status. He knows his shame. And so as he's walking by, he catches eye to eye with Zacchaeus. He looks up in that tree, and Carrie, what does he say? Help me with this. Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm coming to your house today. That was a Bible school song. That's a great song, isn't it? It's just the second half of it, but what a great song. You know, those kids know Zacchaeus because of that little song. I'm coming to your house today. Zacchaeus came down out of that tree, and he said he's glad that Jesus was going to join him. Of course, the people in the crowd weren't glad. There was murmurs. They said, Jesus is going to go to the house of a sinner. He's going to the house of a sinner. Can you believe it? But see, here's the thing. In that moment, when Jesus' eyes met him, when they came eye to eye, when they came face to face, when they came soul to soul, something happened. Jesus became a new person in that instant. Zacchaeus became a new person. Huh? You said Jesus oh. became a new person. Yeah. Jesus <laughs> caused Zacchaeus to become a new I person. I tried to not interrupt. No, that's but... fine. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Jesus already was a new guy yeah, for everybody else. Zacchaeus became a new person. He, he had a transformation, didn't he? The old was gone. The new had come. And we know that because of what came out of his mouth next. He said, you know, if I, I'm, I'm going to take half of my wealth and I'm going to give it to the poor. And he said, and if I've cheated anyone, <laughs> if, <laughs> if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to give them back four times what I took. That's a new person, isn't it? That's a transformation. That's a new life. In Jesus Christ. And all they had to do was make eye contact. All he had to do was say, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're coming to my house. Wow. Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. He said, the son of man, that's Jesus, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Incredible. Tax collectors and sinners. Jesus spent a lot of time with sinners, and you're probably thinking, well, duh. 
we're all sinners. Well, the ones that we're talking about in the Bible are the tagged sinners, those sinners that church going people say, you're a sinner. <laughs> by the righteous, by the self-righteous. And these sinners were totally unacceptable. <coughs> they were left out. And Jesus made a habit of associating with these, especially with these sinful, shameful people. Mm. We read of such a case in the book of Luke. That's the third book that talks about Jesus in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. It's Luke 7, seventh chapter, starting at verse 36. He, he's accepted a dinner invitation to Simon's house. Now, Simon is a Pharisee, which means he's part of a group that uh, very closely uh, interprets the scriptures very narrowly, very conservatively, very literally, and very judgmentally, oftentimes, at least according to scripture. And we have to wonder why a Pharisee, who in scripture is often opposed to Jesus, why he would invite him to a dinner party. Maybe he's one of those few Pharisees who, who truly liked Jesus, who saw who he was and was not opposed. Or maybe it was just the opposite. Maybe he wanted to put Jesus on the spot in, a lot, in front of a lot of people, see if he could catch him up and a, in a, make him look bad in front of a crowd. Or maybe he was just one of those guys who liked to hang out with celebrities. Because <laughs> at this point in time, Jesus is getting to be kind of a celebrity. A lot of people like him. A lot of people are wanting to hang around him. Now, they, didn't, they did not sit in chairs like we do. The table was low, and they reclined, and they rested on their elbow, leaving the right elbow free, and their feet were stretched behind them. The kids them. would probably like to eat like this. I think that that would be really See? hard to eat spaghetti. It's, I've way. tried it. It's brutal. It's yeah. absolute, especially if you're going to twirl it. It's impossible. But here's what happens next. Luke chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. That's quite a humble picture, isn't it? Let's picture that. A woman wetting his feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair. It's interesting that earlier it said, a woman who lived a sinful life. Well, as Carrie mentioned before, we all live sinful life, right? I mean, if, as Bill said earlier, if nobody here, if the only people in here were non-sinful life people, this place would be empty. So this expression has some kind of meaning that we need to focus on. And when we read this in Scripture, often is reserved for those whose lives were especially shameful, especially in the eyes of the culture. You know, there's like sin and then there's like sin in, in, in the eyes of those around. And oftentimes when referring to a woman, the term sinful was often reserved for sexual sin, often for someone engaging in the profession of prostitution. Keep in mind, back in those days, if a woman had to work, her options were very limited. This was one of those options. 
Anyway, we also notice that, um, that this woman had an alabaster. It's assumed that this woman was a prostitute when I was getting at with that last thing there. Um, then this woman had it said a, an alabaster jar of perfume. If we, this story also appears in, in Matthew and in Mark. And in those stories, we find that this perfume is something called nard. And if you look up nard, it's, a, it's an ointment. It's a, it's a resin that has very expensive, extremely expensive substance. And we also find um, that back then, uh, many women, especially if they were in that profession, would wear a vial of this around their neck. They may have like openings that would allow the aroma to... They didn't bathe as often then as we do, okay? And so this would then cover the body odor that, that the person might have. So that's why the perfume might be around their neck. Um, expensive perfume, this might have been basically all the scow had. It may have been her life say This may have been her 401k, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? This very expensive perfume, this may have been it, her wealth, her worth, it. And so while standing at Jesus' feet then, she releases a lifetime of sin, a lifetime of hurt, a lifetime of pain, a lifetime of shame as she wept. Washed his feet with those tears. Wow. Wiped the feet dry with her hair. Kissed them. And then poured this very expensive nard on his feet. In the Matthew version of this story, it says she broke the alabaster jar and poured it on him. You know, once you break that jar... There's no turning back, is there? See, you're not getting the nard back in the jar. (laughs) It's gone. It's done. It's used. It's over. The 401k is spent. So in other words, once she breaks the jar, there's no turning back. You know Jesus' song, we sometimes sing no turning back. Basically, she's singing that song as she's breaking this jar. No turning back. Her life savings... Her pension, so to speak, has been poured out for Jesus. And this perfume, then, symbolic of what she had accumulated to date through the sale of her body, is now poured out on the one who will release her from this past, who will redeem her, redeem her. You know how redeem, when we're down at Rehoboth, and we redeem those tickets, we turn them in for something, right? He's turning in his blood so that she, in return, gets new life. He redeems her from her sins, saves her from this lifetime of shame. So Jesus gives this, forgives this woman, <laughs> and she experiences freedom from her past, and a new life in the future. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. When we have shame in our lives, we can run, we can hide. Satan loves it when we do that. 
because we're right where he wants us. When we run, when we hide, it never releases us from the shame. And so we just live there. <coughs> and it, you know, what brought the shame out on, in us in the first place? It just keeps us. It keeps us in chains. chains. It kills our confidence. Maybe even in God's love. So a few years ago, I experienced pressure to the point where it was difficult for me to manage it and to relax. I just wanted to check out. I just needed some relief. I just needed to sleep. I needed some breathing space. I needed to wind down, and I couldn't. I just couldn't get myself there. And so for a brief time, I got some help with that. I found myself abusing alcohol. Oh, I got some relief for a short period of time. And I kept a secret from everyone, including Alan, for that period of time. Except for God. God knew. And I loved God with all my heart. Really do. I did and I do. And that doesn't have anything to do with this. I knew God loved me. But I really felt a lot of shame for the way that I handled the stress in unhealthy ways. And for being secretive about it. Well, God intervened in a big way, and I experienced mercy and grace in a way that I'd never felt it before. And I've given y'all hints on that along the way in the last year and a half. It's to greater levels than I ever experienced, that I ever felt. And for the last 576 days, I have found healthier ways <laughs> to cope. And I pray for 576 days more, maybe just tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That takes guts. I'm proud of you. Guts. You know, whatever shame we're feeling, whatever shame's got a hold on us, whatever has brought us to that shame-filled place in the first place, we need to own it, as you did. need to own it, make it ours. Because we have to own it before we can give it away. You can't give away something you don't own, can you? You've got to face it and say, yeah, that's mine. But then it's important to give it away, and you know who to give it to? Jesus Christ. Laying it at his feet. Just as Zacchaeus took his wealth, symbol of his shame, laid it at his feet, gave it to Jesus. Just as that sinful woman with the alabaster jar of perfume, symbol of her shame, gave that jar to Jesus. We need to take our shame and any symbols of it that we might have and give them to Jesus. Whatever shame you might be living with, shame that comes from things you've done. Shame that comes from things that have been done to you. Shame that others want to remind you of. 
Shame that you'd rather forget, but you just can't. Whatever is bringing you shame, today is the day to release it. To give it to Jesus and to claim the new life that he wants you to have. A life of forgiveness, a life full of freedom, a life of confidently living your life to the fullest, a life filled with love, unconditional, agape, God-given love. Yeah. Because that's the life God intended for you when God first thought of you so long ago. That's the life Jesus died to give you. That's the life you were meant to have. That's the life filled with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church in Middletown, Delaware, please visit our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life he offers.